Kings chapter 2. Historical evidence 
um, and the fact of the resurrection, but today we're going to be focusing on the power of the resurrection. Particular Muslim in Africa, I've shared this illustration before, but um, a Muslim in Africa had become a believer in Christ. When asked why he converted from the faith um, of Islam to the faith of, in Christ, he replied, Imagine that you have come to a fork in the road. It is extremely important that you choose the right way or other destruction awaits you. But you have no knowledge as to which way is better. Two men are there from whom you can ask directions. One of them is dead. The other one died, but is alive again. To whom would you go for advice? Would you go? Would you go with Muhammad? Dead in the grave? Or go to Christ? who rose again from the dead. Now, scoffers will often try to discredit Christianity regarding the people that were willing to lose their life for the sake of Christ, and they'll try to downplay it as it not being any sort of proof of the resurrection by claiming that many people have been willing to die for a cause, like the apostles of Jesus died for the cause of Jesus. They would say, for example, some Muslims are willing to blow themselves up, to be suicidal, to kill other Jews, to kill, Christ, to kill Christians, um, to, and even eat shudder. You know, the Bible speaks about Ishmael and how his descendants would be a wild man. That brother would avenge brother. That's what you have in the Middle East, where you have the hostilities of brothers, kinsmen, going against each other. So they bring up, though, that Muslims are willing to die for what they believe in. And that's true, but it misses a very important point. The Muslims who do this sort of thing sincerely believe in their cause, but they do not know if it is true. The disciples were in a position to know whether or not Jesus truly raised from the dead. It simply is not possible to suggest that each of these men would face continual persecution and horrifying deaths for something that they knew to be a lie, for something that they knew was a myth. Even if they made it up as a prank, okay, if you did some kind of prank on society, some kind of big hoax, to humanity. Would you really be willing to be persecuted? To be crucified upside down? To be thrown in boiling oil? To be tarred and feathered? Would you really be willing to do that for something you knew that was a lie? Absolutely not. Now, Muslims, they believe what their faith is true. But you know, the apostles were there at a time where they would have known whether it was a myth or not. But they got to see with their own eyes the resurrected Christ. There is the power of his resurrection. In Philippians chapter 3, see the power of his resurrection. It says, And be found in him, not having mine own 
righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. The Paul realized that he would be carrying a cross, that he would be conformed even to the sufferings of Christ, but that he wanted to know Christ so intimately that he would experience the power of the resurrection in his own life. And when we look at the power of his resurrection, we see the power of Jesus predicting his own resurrection. Jesus predict his own resurrection. This wasn't like just some man died and then someone starts spreading the myth. He predicted it would happen. He said in John 2.19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He even said how many days it would be. No wonder the Romans were guarding there. Okay, remember, they even said, remember he said in three days. Let's guard the tomb. Lest they spread this fable that he rose again. So they were trying to keep a myth from happening. But then when the resurrection happened, they started to spread a myth to keep the truth from being made known. They started to come up with all kinds of things that, you know what, okay, the soldiers just fell asleep. Now, that would be the death penalty for a security guard, as far as the Roman soldiers, to fall asleep during their watch when something happened. They started spreading the myth, saying the disciples came and stole his body. And that's even continued to this day. Jesus said in Luke 9, 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Here Jesus is telling them in advance, the political leaders, they're going to come against me. The religious leaders, they're going to come against me. The scribes, those that would have made copies of the scriptures, they would come against me. Ever though the scriptures they had, they spoke of Jesus. And he said he would be slain, but he would raise, be raised the third day. So there's the power of Jesus predicting his own resurrection. There's also the power of the scriptures prophesying of his death and resurrection. Quinn read part of the scripture um, earlier today in Isaiah 53, 10. It says, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. God will make his soul, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, an offering for sin. That before they would make all kinds of sacrifices. They would sacrifice the lamb. You know, on an annual basis. And they would make all these other sacrifices. And they would confess their sins to a priest. But then here, the Bible prophesied that, you know, a Christian man would be made an offering for sin. And as Hebrews
says it would be an offering for sin that would be for once and for all. But it says, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So here, after he has made a sacrifice, after he is put to death, he shall prolong his days. That there would be a resurrection. That he would live again. The scriptures prophesied of his death, burial, and resurrection hundreds of years before Jesus was even born of a virgin. We see the power of raising himself from being dead for three days. It's one thing for a doctor to try to resuscitate a man or um, someone that's near death or seems to have died and, and to bring them back to stability. That's one thing. But Jesus brought himself from being dead after three days. This was like he had a heart attack and someone got him back to life. This is someone that's been dead for three days. And the power of raising himself from the dead. Jesus said in John 10, 18, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. There Jesus said he would bring himself back. You think about the different wonders of the world. You think about the pyramids of Egypt. What are they famous for? many different things, but one of them is because they contain mummified bodies of ancient ancient Egyptian kings. Westminster and Abbey in London is renowned because in it, it rests the bodies of English nobles and notables. Muhammad's tomb is noted for the stone coffin and the bones which it contains. Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is rubber, for it is the honored resting place of many outstanding Americans, including the tomb, the unknown soldier. There is, however, all the difference in the world between the tomb of Christ and these places which we have just mentioned. Those are famous and draw visitors from afar, because of what they contain. But the garden tomb is famous because it is empty. That there were no bones to be found. There was no decaying flesh to be found in there. There was no mummy in there. He was risen, amen. We see the power of Christ's sonship is declared by the resurrection. Many question whether again, whether Jesus was really the Son of God, or was he just a good man and people idolized him? Some will say that Jesus never even claimed to be the Son of God. They'll even say in the New Testament, it is always others that are calling him the Son of God, but that Jesus never declared himself to be the Son of God. Open your Bible to John chapter 9. 
see, they're sorely mistaken. John chapter 9, in verse 35, says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord? that I might believe on him. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Right there, Jesus said, He which you see, he which is talking with me right now, he's the Son of God. He said, Lord, I believe. See, Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God alone. You should not worship another. The angels, there were times where the apostles saw an angel, or others. John in Revelation sees in a vision, he sees an angel, and he bows down to worship him. And what do the angels do? No, give back. Give back, uh, I am but a fellow servant. Worship God alone. The apostles who did many miracles in the name of Jesus Christ by his power. See, Paul ends up getting bitten by a snake, venomous snake, cast it into the fire, the wound heals. They started to worship Paul and Barnabas and started to say things like, this is Jupiter and this is Mercury. The, the gods are in human form. And they played with him and said, no, we are but men. There is one God. There is one creator. Not all these other gods that you follow after. There is one God. But about Jesus Christ, you never see him refuse worship. Not once. And then the scriptures even say that God would have every knee in heaven and in earth bow at the name of Jesus and declare with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. Whether they're saved or lost. One day they will all recognize that Jesus is Lord and will bow down in worship to him. Christ's sonship is declared with the power of his resurrection. Romans 1, 3 says, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. And that was like putting the seal on it. Hey, this is not just some other false Messiah that claimed to be the one that would come. This was him indeed, the Son of God. We 
see the lordship of Jesus Christ is confirmed by the resurrection. In Romans 14, 9, it says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and provided that he might be Lord both of the dead and living, that he would be Lord over the dead and the living. The resurrection manifested power over death. Acts 2.24 says, Whom God had raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Romans 6, 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, die of no more. Death have no more dominion over him. You know what happens when Jesus comes back? They try to kill him again. But he doesn't come on a little donkey this time. He doesn't come as the suffering servant. He comes on a white horse as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and with this word, they will be destroyed. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. By his word, they will perish all those that did not obey the faith and believe in the gospel. Jesus said in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever more. Amen? And have the keys of hell and of death. You know, the resurrection manifests the power over death, but the resurrection is the power of salvation to whosoever believes. Mark 10, verse 26, it says, and they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, But man, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. The Bible is very clear that if Christ be not risen, our faith would be in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain are yet in your sins. Christ was just a good moral person that got martyred but did not rise again. You would be yet in your sins. There would be no hope of salvation. Romans 4 25 says, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And so he was delivered. He was made an offering for sin, because of our offenses, our sin. But he was raised again for our justification. That we who were guilty would be made righteous in Christ. Someone has said it this way, they justified is just if I never sinned. That even though we were full of sin, Christ became sin for us, and his righteousness was imputed upon us. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It didn't say you have peace because you're sincere and seeking and searching for God in your own way. 
Now, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the way, he's the truth, he is the life. We're not saved by being sincere, because we can be sincerely wrong. We're saved by faith. By grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way to be justified. That's why Hudson Taylor was willing to go to China. Even after his daughter passed away. They actually say that there was some kind of infighting among some of the missionaries. And it was in the death of his daughter that there was a turning point. That they were no longer focused on all the earthly things. That they weren't focus on their fuse, but they realize how precious that girl was and how she loved her Savior and that her dad likewise loved the Savior and then they came and were a support to him and his mission's work. His death and resurrection gives us power over sin. It provides power to live for God. Romans 6, 5 and 6 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 7, 4 says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that ye should be married to another, and to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. They know what the law? Moses brought the law. On behalf of God, God had him bring the law. But you know what it revealed? It revealed that we are all sinners. Because none of us keeps the law perfectly. As James says, you break one point of the law, you're guilty of breaking the law, period. You know, you throw a rock through a window, you're not going to make just this nice, cute little hole. The whole window is going to just about shatter. And that's what it is with our sin, that our sin makes us guilty. Is not worthy of eternal life. But Jesus didn't check to see if we were worthy because he gave us his righteousness in Christ when we trust him by faith. But even as believers, as Christians, as people that have already been saved, the Bible gives us or the resurrection gives us power to not live under the dominion of sin. Yes, we still struggle in the flesh. Yes, we still sin. But we do not have to be holden by the power thereof. But that we could bring forth fruit unto God. That God's power is able to be demonstrated in our lives. Ephesians 1.19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us where you believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. But the greatness of his power 
exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The resurrection enables God to work through you. The resurrection confirms that Jesus will judge the world. Now, when he first came, he said, I, I, I come not to judge, I come not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But when he returns, it's by Jesus that God judges the world. Acts 17, 31. It says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, where he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. The resurrected Christ is going to judge the world. One day we will all give an account to the Lord. If we're lost, we don't have faith, then the only thing that God, that Jesus could judge us is based according to our works. And that's why in Revelation it talks about, and, and, the, and the hell gave up their dead, and it came up to be judged. They don't have faith, so they're being judged according to their works. Whether they've been good or bad. And you know what the law concludes? That you know what the good does not outweigh their bad. That even one bad thing. But believe me, not any of us have only done one bad thing. But they'll be judged according to their works, which will be their sin. We do not exercise faith to have salvation in Christ. Those in Christ will be judged based on Christ's work. That Christ died for our sins. He rose again and he lived a perfect life. And his righteousness will be imputed to his own. Jesus is the resurrection. John 11, 23, it says, Jesus saith unto you, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So yeah, I know he's going to rise again, but that's not now. That's going to be down the road. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We know those that are dead in trespasses and sins. They are spiritually dead. They're a walking corpse. They're dead in their sin. It says, but they believe in me. Though he were dead, he shall rise. And then when they do die, they will rise again. Because whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this, 
She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. They were all looking for the Son of God to come. Consider today to come here to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Ask yourself, are you going to be judged in the last days according to your works of sin? Are you willing to make today to be a day of faith? You have not yet believed yet. The Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. We're going to have a time of invitation. An altar call. Some calling. Today, you can make it be the day trust in Jesus alone for salvation. That you're not depending on some other way, but solely in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. As the piano plays. Shall believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Next verse says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our heads bowed, eyes closed.
guys don't know it, we can be absolutely sure. First John 5.13, about 5.12, it says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's pretty clear. You have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. So these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Doesn't say you may hope you have eternal life. Doesn't say you may think you have eternal life. It doesn't say if you do enough good deeds, you'll have eternal life. It doesn't say if you get baptized, you have eternal life. Just to say, if you go to Mass or if you go to church, no. It says, you know the name of the Son of God. You believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. Scriptures 